and welcome to the Point of Care Ultrasound Certification Academy podcast, where we focus on POCUS. Here, we will discuss all things related to Point of Care Ultrasound, the practice, the trends, and its impact on healthcare. Our program will engage thought leaders who are defining global patient care with the stethoscope of the future. Hey, welcome all to the podcast today, Focus on Pocus, where today we'll be broadcasting from our COVID containment triangulation. So I will be speaking from my home while connected across town to Dave at Widget Studios and speaking with our honored guest from California, Dr. Richard Markell, veterinarian to the stars. <laughs> today, uh, we want to talk about uh, all the great things that uh, Dr. Markell is doing. He's a busy man. So I'm going to run this down for you guys. Uh, Dr. Markell is a veterinarian, a key opinion leader, business and science entrepreneur, experienced consultant in the veterinarian clinical practice, pharmaceutical, educational, and medical equipment sectors. He has been in his elite equine veterinary practice for 31 years. He has traveled all over the globe as a former veterinarian for the U.S. Olympic equestrian team and for international horses and clients. He's currently is the director of the veterinary program at Butterfly Network, the new whole body ultrasound device. Dr. Markell is a graduate of the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine, DVM, and University of San Diego Rady School of Management with his MBA. He lives in Encinitas, California, San Diego, with his wife and two dogs, a good one and a naughty one. He has a son at California Polytechnic University in San Luis Obispo. Wow. What a bio to do. That is, in, that is awesome. How are you today? I'm great, James. I'm going to help you out with that. That was equestrian uh, team, the uh, U.S. <laughs> Olympic equestrian team, but that's okay. That's a, that, that's a tough one. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, yes. You know, I, there's so much to talk about today with you here, you know, during these, uh, the new, uh, bold new world we're living in. Well, it's great to be here. I really, I really appreciate it. I, I think that you know, uh, at, at Butterfly, it's it's really cool to be able to uh, be really involved on the human and the veterinary side, and so uh, the collaboration between the two, I think, is is really important both professionally um, and and our techniques, and and they are quite different. The industries are are quite different, and yet, you know, we're we're all working on very very similar patients. Believe it or not. Yeah, that's that's what I want to talk about. So maybe you can expand on that. What, what's the state of veterinarian ultrasound right now? And and I guess, you know, how does the veterinarian ultrasound delivery differ between veterinary medicine and human medicine? Sure. Well, I think there's, you know, to give you a little bit of, of history and context. So I'm primarily an equine veterinarian and, and in sports medicine. And so um, when ultrasound first came out, you know, veterinarians through history have kind of, they've had to be innovators. We, we can't just put a horse in an MRI easily or in a CT scanner, although we do have <laughs> MRs and CTs for, for horses and large animals and, and certainly small animals. But Kind of back in the day when, when ultrasound was being introduced in the medical space, um, 
I had ultrasound machines. We saw them as a way to image the body and, and not, you know, have to bring an animal into the clinic or uh, be able to afford a, a multi-million dollar machine. So we've been using ultrasound really very, very, very early on. Mm-hmm. And so as innovators, veterinarians have just had to do with the best they could with what they had. So especially in the large animals um, where you have patient size compliance issues. I mean, you know, gosh, you, you just, uh, if yeah. you go out to see a thousand pound horse, <laughs> even back in those days, there were some areas that were not accessible with radiography. So ultrasound was a great tool. And, and that's how we started out with ultrasound. As time's gone on and the equipment and the technology has gotten better and better, and now even having handheld devices that, that hook up to smartphones, mm. it's really been remarkable. We've been using um, ultrasound, um, for example, for, certainly for internal medicine cases and reproductive cases, et cetera. But, you know, in the sports medicine world, um, it's really now just taking off in the human side, which is great to see because we've been doing the orthopedics and sports medicine side with ultrasound for 25 years. We knew that it was a great way to image tendon and ligament injuries. And so it's really exciting to see that being adopted along uh, translational medicine sides with humans and uh, and as as veterinary medicine as well. You know that's true because uh, you know I know you know the the lung ultrasound guru Dr. Lichtenstein. I know he borrowed terminology A lines and B lines actually from veterinary medicine. I remember him talking about that with us. So that terminology was sort of you know scooped from veterinary medicine. So you know this translational medicine. You know, why is it so important and why is One Health so important? Well, you know, right now in, in the, the concern we're having now, so I, I don't know if most people know this, but, you know, 70% of the worldwide global health infectious diseases yeah. um, can be uh, zoonotic. So they, they go one way or both ways between animals and humans. And with what has been changing in the world with climate change and we're seeing vectors coming up into the northern hemisphere that used to be just in the southern hemisphere like mosquitoes and emerging diseases, tropical diseases in places where they they used to not be um, and and seeing you know, uh, animals being uh, used as a protein source in, in other countries. And we're seeing a lot of translation between um, diseases. And so veterinary medicine and human medicine is intricately, um, uh, intricately intertwined as, as well as the one health of, of our environment. So really the one health global uh, perspective is, Human medicine, veterinary medicine, and um, and and climate health or world environmental health um, interacting with each other, and, and those are really important. In a modern sense, mm-hmm. um, one health is really important because veterinarians and physicians and and veterinary medicine and human medicine, uh, veterinary medicine and human medicine, uh, we we we're dealing with mammals, for example, and systems are very similar. So we really can learn a lot from each other, um, both directions. Yeah, you know, so it, talking with that One Health, that reminds me of uh, population health, but 
on my nightstand, you know, I'm making my way through a big tomb here, 700 pages. It's uh, called Spillover. It was on the New York Times bestseller, and it's, uh, I think it's written by David Quammen, and uh, I hope I said that right. Uh, and we were just talking before the show, you know, can you talk about more about these zoonotic diseases? Uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard about the Hendra in, in Western um, Australia. I had no idea that these small blooms happen, and they don't even make headlines. Yeah, they do, and and it is really important. You know, whether uh, some of them have been proven, some of them have been uh, theoretical or hypotheses. Um, certainly, Ebola virus, um, yes. HIV, uh, and and even you know in the in the current news with uh, COVID nineteen being transmitted to uh, several uh, several large cats at the Bronx Zoo, uh, they. They were infected through their uh, through their their animal handlers. Uh, sorry, through yeah through the human animal handlers. Mm-hmm. So humans were giving animals diseases. Now, the clinical presentation can be different, um, and and animals can be carriers of disease and and transmit them to humans. So bats can be carriers of rabies, for example, and it doesn't bother them. They can host it. They can live with it. It's, um, it's populated in their bodies without any kind of clinical disease. And then, of course, you know, rabies is certainly, there isn't many more dramatic diseases yeah. that we know can be devastation to humans. So, so that, those, the movement of those animals, whether you destroy habitat um, to make farmland, whether you change climate and vectors are moving that interaction with animals and humans is very very important worldwide and the biosecurity of uh, of a lot of our health and well-being can be tied to uh, animals and veterinary medicine you know i like this it's all encompassing um this one health i uh when i think of how uh, let's just pick it's happened all over the world i Amazon, so they're clearing it for the production of cows and meat, and um, so you, you've you've essentially stressed an area, and you've sort of pushed along, exacerbated that evolution of that virus to make that jump, so they can leave that particular area. I wonder, it, just the microbiology implications, you know, blows my mind. Sure, it it really is important, and. And, you know, I think that, um, look, viruses are always, and, and many diseases, you know, their, their whole survival mechanism is to evolve and to, to change and, and, and reinfect and keep themselves going. And so we, we are all interrelated in many, many ways, and that's, that's an important part of it. In modern medicine and in, in, you know, first world countries, um, it's great to be able to, for example, you know, when I talk to physicians and, and human sports medicine people, you know, the, uh, the, the early uh, nascence of, of regenerative medicine, we've been using stem cell therapy in, in horses just in my practice for 15 years. Mm. And we've been culturing stem cells and using them in orthopedics, which we do a lot of ultrasound guided techniques and in, um, in implanting stem cells and regenerative medicine and biomatrices and things like that uh, using an ultrasound guide. Yeah, speak to that. So you guys are already doing ultrasound-guided procedures in addition to the diagnostic uh, ultrasound. So what do you do, uh, pericarosentesis, uh, this kind of uh, biopsies, things of that nature, and also what you're putting in stem cells? That's fascinating. 
Yeah, it really is great. And and one of the things that we've been doing, for example, if we have, say, uh, like a lot of the tendon and ligament lesions are very similar in in both humans and uh, and animals, say horses, for example. So if we have a significant tendon lesion, um, it's not uncommon for us, of course, ultrasound's our first technique because we it's actually in many ways a, a better technique for diagnoses and staging disease as well as um, recovery than an MR. And so we would say, for example, if a horse had a, a bowed tendon, we, we call that, that's a typical racehorse injury where they would actually tear tendon fibers. We can stage it from time to see uh, how much tissue damage there is acutely, um, how much is subacute damage, and then during the healing process. If we have, for example, what we call a core lesion and you have a central lesion with a central uh, hematoma, Mm-hmm. We can watch those. We can actually aspirate that hematoma. We can inject stem cells and a matrix, whether that is um, uh, ultra, it's, it's almost always ultrasound-guided, and we'd be able to, to hit our target, per se. First, decompress the lesion, uh, and then, number two, put regenerative uh, medicine in there, whether it's PRP, stem cells, or, or a combination. Wow, so what's that is... Wow. It seems like there's a two-way street. And <laughs> I guess that sort of leads me to this question, you know, so where, what has led the way for the veterinarian ultrasound and vice versa? It sounds like you guys are already way ahead of that curve. <laughs> well, I think, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I have to say here, here again, it's so inter, interrelated. Um, in many ways, we're way ahead, and in many ways, we're way behind. So some of the things that we're doing in ultrasound medicine um, was really led by human medicine imaging. So, for example, I, I hate to tell you, I'm, you know, I'm of the age group that I could have probably been the first veterinarian for the Wells Fargo stagecoach back in the <laughs> old days. I've been in practice for a long, long time. And, um, you know, there, there are structures now that I am routinely ultrasounding in horses, for example, that I didn't even know existed when I went to vet school, and nobody knew they existed. And the way that the anatomists found that they existed was because we would see them on MR images. Mm-hmm. So, um, so MRI, for example, has helped out my ultrasound skills because now I can look at some of these really small tendons and ligaments, understand that they are a different structure, um, some of the really small structures, and and so that that is that has significantly helped me. And, you know, I think that um, this, again, you know, for uh, in, in conversations with my friends on the human side, both ultrasound techs, and, and that's something I'd love to talk about um, because that's where we're way behind in veterinary medicine. Like, I love the idea of how involved physicians' assistants, technologists um, are on the human side, and we don't. We have very little of that in veterinary medicine, and I'm hoping that becomes more widespread in the veterinary side, where we can have more technicians, we can have more routine, um, defined examinations of different areas, so that doctors can do what they do best, and technicians can do what they do best, and and so and the sports medicine people, so we can all work together, taking better care of our patients. You know, that's funny. To to your point there. <laughs> I was just recalling in an agency capacity, 
they sent me out to scan horse hearts at the new Bolton Center, which is located out here in Kennett Square, PA. Right. And I remember walking in there, you know, pretty much, I felt, you know, it's pretty good with all things ultrasound, but never had to engage a horse, which was kind of dangling from a strap. <laughs> I went in there and I'm like, I don't even know what side the horse's heart is on, but I'm going to guess it's like the human heart. And uh, I remember fumbling through that just to get it. They were just looking for, uh, I think it was an effusion at the time, but just, right. yeah, that would be great. I would, it would be great if all, all those uh, maybe advanced care providers could, you know, team help up with the veterinarian. Cause I know you guys are extended a lot. And I think that there's, you know, for example, in our company, you know, Teresa Lopez, um, our clinical team, uh, she, Teresa in particular, is uh, really interested in animals. She's obviously a very accomplished human ultrasonographer. Uh, she loves the animal side and has really helped us get the veterinary side going and doing a lot of our clinical validation as well as our optimization. And she just loves doing it on animals. And, the, and it's just been a fantastic help to have her her skills, you know, on, on, our, on our veterinary team and, and sharing between the veterinary team and the human team. We actually have a really cool project going with Pennsylvania right now because maybe you started it all, but they are one of the leading um, veterinary schools in the country for cardiac ultrasound. And, uh, and they have a really famous ultrasonographer, Dr. Jenny Reef, who started the whole program there, oh, and now Dr. Yeah. Chris Novice. But uh, they're, doing, uh, they're, they're using the teleguidance now to try and, uh, with this new feature, to teach veterinarians how to do better exams remotely. And you can do that now watching the ultrasound exams real-time um, and then doing the coaching real-time on a laptop computer and you know, maybe you can teach people, you can teach veterinarians how to do ultrasounds while you're at the beach in Maui and, uh, and they're out working in the field in Idaho. That, yeah. You maybe should think that as another career avenue. As long as I bring my wetsuit, I'll be good for Maui. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, you know, that's very true. And that name rings a bell. That's a University of Pennsylvania um, project. But, uh, you know, what I want to get to, and we can talk about that. I want, I want you to talk about more of that new feature on Butterfly. But uh, you were a veterinarian for the United States. I got to know this, you know, for, for the United States sure. uh, Olympic show jumping team. So can you expand on that experience, man? That sounds pretty epic. It, it really is cool. So uh, most people know that um, our Olympic team has equestrian sports, and the Olympic Games have equestrian sports and, and horse sports. And, and so uh, there's a team of veterinarians that will travel with the horses when they go to competitions in Europe, etc. And I did that for about four years, and really, really uh, pinnacle of, of practice achievement. Um, it was really cool. I got to travel all over the world with the horses and, and go to uh, events and World Cup finals, etc., that uh, the horses would fly to along with the riders. And just like a, a you know, human physician that, say, is a sports team doctor, they would travel with the team. And, uh, and that was great, not only for the life experiences and the friends we made all over the world, but, um, you know, to be able to practice with just incredible athletic horses and riders that were athletes. It was uh, really a, a neat experience. Wow. Now, do you have a favorite horse? <laughs> I, you know, 
Um, I have to tell you, I, I, I've got a couple of favorite horses, but um, <laughs> I don't want to put you on the spot. But I, I was thinking I like the Clydesdale because you know they'll bring me beer constantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and as a University of Missouri graduate, um, <laughs> we actually used to take care of some of the Budweiser horses when I was in school. They have a beautiful farm outside of St. Louis. But uh, I have to tell you, of all the amazing athletes um, that I've worked with, and all the famous, famous horses and famous riders and celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think my favorite horses are probably the horses that I work with at the Shea Therapeutic Center, which is the largest riding for um, uh, the handicapped or disabled uh, riders, special needs riders program here in California. Um, they have 31 horses, and I go there and volunteer every every Wednesday. Have for about 20 years now, and take care of those horses. They're they're pretty darn special what they what they do for people. Wow! Now I've seen I've been up here when I worked at Bryn Mawr Hospital. We they always gave the staff uh, everybody tickets to the Devon Horse Show. That was their big fun, and that's oh, dressage. Yeah. So that's their dressage part as a versus. Uh, my uncle was involved with a cutting horse ranch in Georgia, and yeah. So when when you do these thoroughbreds, are they specific? Are you involved with the racing horses or the most of these show horses? Yeah, the ones I the ones I did um, uh, the ones I did James were were all the show jumpers and dressage horses. Yeah, and the race horses. It's funny, you know. It, it's just like in human medicine, you'd have someone who's say you know uh, an NFL physician, and their mm-hmm. specialty were knees and shoulders, and you know there was someone who would just do ankles and wrists, and someone who would just do. So we get pretty specialized, and not only within our species. So you know, I, I have to laugh. So I fly all over the world taking care of these multi-million dollar elite horses for celebrities and my wife makes me take our dogs to a veterinarian to get them vaccinated she doesn't trust me (laughs) oh yeah i I get that we have a lot of dog love in this house too yeah yeah Yeah. but she tells me she says well you know would you want my my gynecologist (laughs) to fix your broken arm and and i guess okay that's fine but uh yeah so so we uh, we take our dogs to a to a vet when they when they need it. Yeah, that's a that's amazing. And uh, we were at the uh, the Willowdale Horse Show. We went a couple times, and I remember they had a side mm-hmm. feature. It's just incredible these horses jumping these hedges, and uh, we had a picnic and. They had a, a special moment where they had a lot of Cairn Terriers and, and Jack Russells chasing this, uh, you know, it was like a pull rabbit. And that race was even fun, too. It was a fun day out there. So, you know, do you oh, want to talk great. about this uh, this new butterfly device? You guys have this telemedicine or in teleeducation? It's really amazing. So uh, just really briefly, Butterfly is a handheld device that goes to a cell phone. Um, it's a chip technology, so uh, it's no longer piezoelectric crystals. And, right. and it's really a remarkable device. The other part of the remarkable of it is it's one device, so you'll get a linear sector and phased um, pro ball in one, and you just change everything to the software. And the really cool thing is that with this CMUT and CMOS chip technology, there's 9,000 little drums on a, on a, computer, um, on a computer chip. And, and what, what it enables the device to do is you can add and change features just by the software. So you're, you're no longer limited really by the hardware as we have been traditionally in ultrasound. And then on top of it, what's amazing is with a goal to democratize healthcare, care, um, this device is $2,000, not Thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. 
So it's amazing for uh, for um, uh, portability and and et cetera, and as well as affordability. But what we now have on this, which is really really exciting, and and there's a veterinary software and a human software because the images have been optimized because our patients go from you know one pound to to two thousand pounds so we uh, we've got the software that'll that'll manage that with depth gain uh, megahertz etc mm-hmm. but what's really cool is we just now the these amazing amazing engineers have uh, developed a teleguidance program and what it does is you can actually the the idea and you know one of the early investors in the company was the Gates Foundation, and the idea was to be able to take an ultrasound probe in the hands of someone who is minimally minimally trained, be able to put it up to a little kid's chest in Africa, for example, and be able to transmit those images to cardiologists and healthcare providers in 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 London or Los Angeles or Philadelphia, and and. It's, it has now come to fruition. So this device, when you, you have a, a local operator, the person who's actually doing the scan, and then you have a remote operator on a laptop computer somewhere, anywhere in the world, can actually, in real time, watch the ultrasound exam being done and the images being collected in real time, as well as control the device from their computer in depth gain and presets, cardiac or cardiac harmonics or color Doppler, be able to control the device from the computer thousands and thousands of miles away or anywhere in the world, Uh excuse me, as well as to be able to coach the operator on fan, move it over here, drawing little uh, pictures on their device while they're looking at it to be able to position the probe correctly to get the images that are appropriate and are diagnostic and the best quality. And it, it's truly Star Trek stuff. I mean, it's really, really cool. And, and Butterfly has done that. In, in addition, uh, they're developing, and, and that's on the veterinary and the human side. And in addition, uh, newly and soon to be released is going to be an educational view guidance with artificial intelligence. So, you know, you'll have indicators saying, you know, warmer, 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 colder, colder, colder. So as the operator moves the device itself, it helps the operator just with AI um, optimize the image. We're, We're not quite there on the veterinary side yet because one of the problems we have James, is that when we look at human and veterinary medicine, just the data size, the number of cases is a little bit more difficult to collect enough data to be able to get that AI to really power some of the um, some of the uh, optimization uh, on the veterinary side because we're just not getting that much. Eventually, we will be there, and, and that's going to be exciting as well. Yeah, that's amazing. I I've remember in the past some forelays into that. There would be a, a, a chieftain with a stat, you know, satellite phone, uh, trying right. to do an image in Africa and send it to someone in Nigeria. And uh, it was right. kind of clumsy with the old transducer, and it was still the giant stove-sized machines until, until the laptops kind of came to came out. But, but what I want to get at here is uh, I noticed in your bio, it, when you were getting your MBA, you, you co-founded a technology company uh, about kids and their families that are challenged with ADHD and other mental health care issues. Is that involved with the horse uh, 
your favorite horse place to go to? Is that all tied in together? Well, you know, it actually isn't. Um, we needed to, when you do an MBA, you, uh, our school has a, a lab-to-market program, so you have to come up with an idea and then make a business and, and then convince people about the idea. And, and one of my dear friends, uh, classmates, a pediatric psychiatrist, and another one of my dear friends who is not in, uh, in, in the school with us is a pediatrician. He was taking care of my kids. And and uh, they came up with the idea that we needed to help kids with ADHD. And so we developed a technology where parents and teachers and actually the students could uh, check in on how they were doing, especially for response to medication. You know, are, are you having trouble sleeping or et cetera? So the teachers could report really easily um, on, a, on a real-time basis to the parents, and then uh, the kids could put in how they're feeling, and, uh, and then the, the teacher's parents and, and uh, uh, students would all kind of connect. So that was how that worked. Wow. It's, uh, I, I got to ask you this. I know, <laughs> now I know you're, uh, you know, you, 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 also, you take care of a lot of uh, famous people and celebrities' horses, so... You got something here. You got. You don't have to give us a tabloid story, but you got something interesting that maybe something about Jimmy Kimmel. I don't know Johnny Carson or somebody's horse. You got to have some story there. You know, I, I really <laughs> dealt with some some great great people that genuinely love their animals, and you know, it's funny because um, you know when I would take care of. I mean, it's California, so a lot of people are celebrities, but uh, sure. it's funny how. Animals are are just such a an, a normalizer and equalizer, and and that's been a great thing. And you yes. know, if you if you look, James, here's here's a statistic: sixty two percent of every household in America has a pet in them. And and so when you think about you know that's sixty two percent of college professors, sixty two percent of movie stars, sixty two percent of you know technically that it's it's there's no differentiation. Right. And you know whether you're dealing with uh, a celebrity or a senator or I, I've taken care of vice presidents, uh, horses, etc. You know there there's really. Um, that everybody becomes just another, you know, that they're all about the animal, and, and that's really where, uh, where it is. But no real crazy stories other than the, <laughs> hey, you know, hey, Dr. Markell, can you fly to Europe tomorrow to check a horse that I'm thinking about buying? And, and it's like, well, I can't go tomorrow. And every once in a while you get that little sense of, well, why not? Don't you remember who I am? And it's like, well, yeah, but my kid's got a lacrosse game tomorrow. I can't miss tomorrow. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. Usually I'd be able to go the next day. So uh, <laughs> that's kind of the celebrity. The I was celebrity thinking more story. on the other side of that. You know, Dr. Markell, I was thinking, you know, maybe you had a, a diva horse that was would not leave her paddock, you know, until uh, you had to go in there and, I don't know, give her something to ease her along. <laughs> well, you know, I have to tell you a story, and, and this is not very scientific, but I had a horse, I really truly believe this, and, and in 31 years of practice, I think this was the only horse, because I, I kind of don't believe in this stuff, or I don't want to think that I believe in it, but I could swear that this horse knew that if it came out, and that day 
it would limp a little bit. The people would obviously be worried about it and put it back into the stall and it wouldn't have to work. Uh, and I think that horse had our number. And uh, it was the only one of all these years that I truly felt that it was there was that much awareness. But, uh, but I, I think that one kind of had our number. I, I certainly know my, my little French bulldog has a problem with her eye now, and she knows that if she lets me put the medicine in her eye, she's going to get a little, a little liver snap treat. <laughs> and, uh, she's got that whole thing figured out. So now when she sees me pick up the bottle of medicine to put it in her eye, she runs over to the jar where the, the little treats are. So uh, I, I always wonder, the old joke is, you know, when you have an animal in your house, you know, who owns who? Exactly. Oh, yeah. I live with that every day with my Cairn Terrier and my cat. And yes, yeah, they're, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They really add a lot of joy to your life. And listen, I want to thank you for, uh, you know, being on the Focus on Pocus podcast today. It's truly an honor. You know, here you are, international sophisticated veterinarian to the world, Olympic team involved with butterfly, medical devices, leadership, awesome stuff. It's all, it's all golden, just like the Golden State out there. You're living the life, and thanks for making the time. I know you're a busy man. You're in demand, and it's an honor for all you do for animal and patient safety. Well, thank you so much, James. It's been great, and I, I love what you guys do, and I have so much respect for you know all the all the techs out there, the ultrasound uh, techs and and physicians and and you know clinicians that are that are doing ultrasound medicine that have have helped us bring it along so far, and hopefully we can interact a lot in the future because uh, it's really a remarkable tool. I can't imagine practicing medicine without ultrasound. Awesome. And with that, don't forget for more POCUS-style topics, you can follow us on Facebook at POCUS Cert Academy and Twitter at POCUS Academy. Dr. Markell, thank you so much for all your efforts. Well, thank you, James. It was great being with you today. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us at Twitter at POCUS Academy and Facebook at POCUS Cert Academy. If you'd like to learn more about the POCUS community, visit us at pocusworld.org. Take a look at participating in our POCUS 25 research. Help contribute to the scientific development of the top 25 point-of-care ultrasounds. And we'll see you next time. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests and not those of Intelios. This podcast is for information purposes only.